A very blessed Sunday morning to one and all, whether you're worshiping with us online or on site. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yes, indeed. And today we continue our journey in our sermon series in First Corinthians. And it's really my privilege to share with you from First Corinthians 12 and 13. Two very important chapters. This, can I invite you to turn to your Bibles, electronic or otherwise, keep your Bibles open so that we can refer to the two chapters along the way. But this is the scripture text for today. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. First Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and have your way with us. Oh Lord, would you glorify yourself through your word. And Lord, please purify our hearts. Purify my lips. And give us grace to not just hear, but to do your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, if I were to ask you to rate these abilities on the scale of 1 to 5, 1 being the least important and 5 being the most important, how would you rate these abilities? Number 1, hosting a small group meeting, getting the best supper. Number 2, organizing games for YM camp. 3, preaching a sermon. 4, playing piano for children's ministry. 5, singing in a choir. Wow, the choir is very enthusiastic. I think they're rating it number 1. <laughs> so which do you think is the most important? Well, different responses. Thinking deeply, should I say preaching a sermon? What should I say? Well, actually, that's the problem. And that's the issue that the church in Corinth was facing. They were, in fact, rating spiritual gifts. They were rating some gifts as more important than the others. And what's worse, they were judging each other based on spiritual gifts. Some thought, oh, because I have this gift, I'm more superior than you. And you, you have this gift, you are definitely inferior. And so in the larger theme of freedom in Christ, and we looked at that in, in the chapters leading up to chapter 12, in chapter 11, for example, in this larger theme of what do you do with the freedom that you have in Christ, Paul then now comes to the issue of spiritual gifts. And he spends three chapters on this issue, and this underscores its importance. And today we will look at chapter 12 and 13. Now there's so much to cover, but please allow me to distill it to three essential principles and then through a draw, three discipleship applications. These are the three principles. Number one, the preeminence of the giver as Lord. Number two, the purpose of unity for the common good. Number three, the priority of love in the use of gifts. The preeminence of the giver as Lord. Paul begins from verses one to three 
by highlighting the lordship of the giver, of God, by contrasting the work of the Holy Spirit from the other spirits. Now you must understand that Christians in Corinth, they came from pagan backgrounds. They, they had spiritual experiences as part of their background. In fact, it was very normal as part of Greek mystery religions to go into supernatural trances and expression. So for them, speaking in tongues, prophetic words, nothing, nothing unusual. But Paul says, don't be ignorant. You can be spiritually gifted, but you must be gifted by the right giver. And the giver is the Lord, who is the true giver. And because our Lord is the true giver, He determines the distribution. Verse 4 and 11. There will be different kinds of gifts. But God is the one with the sovereign plan on how He would distribute them. My friends, God's distribution is not haphazard. Neither does He discriminate. His distribution is always for His glory. Amen? The glory of His disciple. glory of His Lordship. In fact, the word gift in Greek is the word charismata, where we get the word charis, grace. And every spiritual gift we have is therefore a gift of grace, given by the grace of the giver. And Paul emphasizes this. He says that it's the same giver, the same God. Look at these verses. In verses 4 to 6, four times, he reminds the church in Corinth, it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. And then he goes on in the following verses from 8 to 11, again, four times, he says, hey guys, it's the same Spirit. This one who is the true giver, the same Lord, the same Spirit. And so sometimes we are very caught up with all the different gifts, but we forget the preeminence of the giver. So today, you don't have to worry whether you have a particular gift or not. You can surrender to the sovereign eminence of our giver. Amen? You can surrender to God and say, God, sometimes I want this gift, but I don't seem to have it. You can say, God, I trust you. You are the preeminent giver. And because you are the preeminent giver, you are the one who grants that variety of gifts. And Paul gives a list from verse 8 to 10, and nine gifts are highlighted. First and foremost, this list is not exhaustive. They are examples, more than a definitive or comprehensive list. And you can cross-reference to Romans, Ephesians, First Peter, where other lists of gifts are mentioned, but nine, all, none of them are meant to be exhaustive. They simply illustrate the variety of gifts that the true giver gives. But today, let me just share a little on the gifts that were highlighted in First Corinthians. First and foremost, wisdom and knowledge. You may wonder, what is that? Now, that's the ability to bring spiritual insight in a timely, a helpful manner for a situation or context. And my friends, please pray for this gift. When you're giving counsel, when you're speaking to someone in need, Offering Christian perspective to those who are in need. The second gift I want to highlight to you is the gift of faith. That's found in verse 9. Now, the gift of faith here is not saving faith. The gift of faith here is the ability to believe God for impossible things. Whether it's physical healing, miraculous provision, whether it's a missionary breakthrough, some of us have the gift of faith to trust God even though the valleys are really dark and deep. And you can pray for this gift when you're going through a very challenging situation, be it at home or in a workplace. Then a gift of healing, and that's that supernatural ability from God for physical healing. Then Paul mentions miraculous powers. That's granted by God. 
but the ability to work miracles, and most notably exorcisms by the early apostles. I'm going to come to an interesting gift, and that's the gift of prophecy. Now, the gift of prophecy is a God-given ability to foretell, that is, predict future events. But more importantly, and more predominantly, to foretell, speaking forth to God's people, His will and purposes for their present circumstances. Sometimes when we think of prophetic words, we're so caught up with the foretelling. Oh, is that telling about my future? No, my friends, the role of the Old Testament prophets are often to foretell. They simply tell forth God's word. They have broken covenant with God, reminding the people of God to return to God. That was foretelling. Wayne Gruden puts it very well. He says, Christian prophets are those who have grasped the meaning of Scripture, perceive its powerful relevance to the life of the individual, church, and society, and then declare the message fearlessly. My friends, I want you to know that prophecy is not on par with Scripture. Prophecy is subject to error. Prophecy is also subject to misinterpretation. And finally, the last gift I want to highlight to all of us, speaking in tongues. And that is the God-anointed ability to speak in a language which requires interpretation. It is a tongue unknown to you. It may be a known language, but simply unknown to you. Or it can be what we call a heavenly language, a language that God inspires and gives to you that is not a known language. But whatever it is, you need interpretation in order to understand. But the gift of tongues has the powerful ability to draw us close to God. It is for personal edification. That's what the gift of tongue does. Now, can I share with you one reason why there can never be a comprehensive list of gifts ever? Have you ever wondered why? Why doesn't God just draw out a list so I can just check the box whether I have the list. And I think one reason is this. Because all of us here have talents and abilities. We have abilities and natural talents. Some of you are gifted in music, leadership, you're good with your hands, you're good with cooking. It's a natural ability, inexplicable, maybe genetic, but inexplicable. Question today is, when is a talent a spiritual gift? Have you wondered that about that? When does a talent become a spiritual gift? Verse 7 says that a spiritual gift is used for the common good of the body of Christ. So let me submit to you that when you surrender your talent to God and you allow Him to use it for the work of His kingdom and His glory, God can turn that into a spiritual gift. Amen? So think with me. Think with me. All of us, you have talents and abilities. We use them in our workplaces and you are great at your workplace. You're great at your work. But have you ever considered how you can bring some of that to serve the body of Christ? And when you do that, when you submit your talent to the Lordship of Christ, you say, God, you take over my talent. I need you as the Lord over my talents. Mold me, humble me. As I surrender this talent to be used by you, God can use that to bless the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. I believe in that. My personal journey was when I started out, I, I discovered that I had the ability to play the piano. And so for all a part of my life, playing the piano was really just personal interest. And to someone led me to start serving in the Sunday school. And when I started playing with the Sunday school, I, I found myself embarking on a discipleship journey of surrendering this little gift of playing the piano to serve the body of Christ. And the years that I had used those gifts, back in prayer and praise, when I was 
playing the keys and leading worship, I discovered that God was molding me, God was shaping me, and it's become my discipleship journey to use this little talent that I have for the glory of God. My friends, today you can use your talents for the glory of God. Would you do that? Would you surrender whatever talent? You say, God, let me use it and turn it to a spiritual gift. Let me say, if you are very, very talented, and some of you here are, all the more you need God to sanctify your motives so that you will always be humble, so there is no pride, there is no ambition, there is no need for public recognition. That often comes with talents, but with spiritual gifts. Instead, there is a sense of surrender to God, for God to use it and to humble you as you disciple, go through that discipleship journey with Him. Finally, my friends, why is the giver the preeminent one? Because He appoints His servants. And this is a very important point. If you look at verse 28 to 30, if your Bible is still open, you will see that it is God who places in his church apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. Now, it is God who places. That's the word that really drew me. It is God who places. And Paul reminds the church in Corinth that it is God who puts in place the structure and systems of leadership that we have today. My friends, don't confuse the gift with the office. Both are God-given. It is possible to exercise the gift without the office. For example, it is possible to exercise the gift of pastoring. The gift of pastoring is simply a gift of a shepherd's heart. Loving someone with a pastoral heart, you can do that without being a pastor like me by vocation and office. You can be a prophet when you speak forth God's truth and God's wisdom in a situation. You don't have to have the office of a prophet. You get the point. Both are God-given and both point to the preeminence of the giver. And that's, I think, is the first point that Paul wants to drive at. Then he moves on to the second fundamental principle in 1 Corinthians 12. It's an important one. The second P, the purpose of unity for the common good. Why unity? Because unity reflects the Trinitarian nature of God. The persons of God are Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet they are one. And so when, when we are coming together as the body of Christ, united in Spirit, our unity reflects the nature of God and our unity glorifies God. And so when we are called to use our gifts as to serve and bless one another, that unity glorifies God. And to illustrate the need for unity, Paul uses the metaphor of the body. And it's a beautiful metaphor. In the words of Bilingo, in his book, Gifts and Graces, he writes, in order to complete the work on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood. In order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body that consists of living human beings. So imagine, look around you, together we form the body of Christ. And here's the beauty of it all. When we talk about unity, it's a special kind of unity. It's a unity in diversity. We are not all the same, and thank God for that. We are many parts, but we are one body. Whether Jew, Gentile, slave or free, Paul tells the church in Corinth, we are one body. The body is one only because it has many parts. Think about it. Oneness is only possible because of manyness. Unity is only possible with diversity. Otherwise, there is nothing to be united about. If all you are the same then what we have are different organs. But if all you are different and come together, then we are an organism. An organism is different from an organ. 
God wants us to be a body, a living organism. Now, the world will tell you, don't be diverse. The world will tell you, if you want, join us. Join our site. Join my view. Join my opinion. Otherwise, if you are different, you, you stay on your own. But in our church, with a Christian understanding, is that our diversity serves unity, and our unity celebrates, celebrates diversity. Sometimes we wish that everyone else is like us, right? Sometimes I do wish there are more Raymonds around. But thank God there's only one of me. It's enough. I need an Ian, right? I need a Philip. I need an Adrian. We need different ones amongst us. And it is in the unique differences, the distinctive, that God somehow brings a sweet unity. How? Because apart from diversity, this unity is through inter- Dependence. Paul uses a powerful analogy of the eye and the hand. He says, the eye cannot tell the hand, I don't need you. Or the eye may be thinking, hey, the hand, you're useless. I'm more important. I see things. What can you do? Guess what happens when an eyelash is stuck? You think the eye is able to remove that eyelash on its own? No. What does he call for? A hand, please come and pluck that eyelash out for me. A true understanding of the body will produce humility, my friends. Really. Because the most indispensable parts of our bodies are the ones we actually don't think about. When Paul speaks of the weaker parts in verse 22, he may be referring to the unprotected parts, like our fingers, our toes, our unprotected parts, like the eyes. When he speaks of the less honorable parts, he may be referring to the internal organs covered by clothing. When he speaks of the unpresentable parts, he may be referring to sexual organs, excretory tracts, parts that are not very presentable. And here's the point. You can survive without an eye or a hand, but you can't survive without a liver. And truth is, you can't see a liver. The fact that a part of that body is hidden away is in fact indispensable. What that means for us is that we cannot prioritize what is visible and what's in the forefront. We think of preaching, we think of worship leading, choirs, ushering. But do you know that there are many behind the scene whose contribution is indispensable? There are ones who are praying for us right now, even as we worship. There are intercessors gathering to pray. They are the ones showing the acts of mercy without us knowing in the background, visiting our residents in Jalan Basay. There are the ones who are working in our background logistics every week. You don't see them, but when you come, it's ready for service to run. They are hidden in the sound room. They're the ones who click our slides, who handle the cameras. Shall we just honor them? Shall we just give them a big hand? Let's thank all the ones who are hidden in the background, who do not see, who we cannot see, but they are indispensable. And so my friends, don't forget the ones that you don't see. Amen. Don't forget the ones who think they are forgotten. Reach out. Because the final way to show unity is mutual care. Paul covers that from verse 24 to 26. Verse 26 says that when one part of the body suffers or one part is honored, the rest rejoices or grieves with it. That's the unity of the body. Each part caring for one another. So that even when one member suffers, it's essential for the entire body to share the pain. Have you experienced a paper cut on your finger? Do you know that it's not just your hand that feels the pain? The pain can radiate all the way to your head. You can get a headache out of it. You can get 
aches and all kinds of parts of your body just because of a paper cut. And that's the idea of the whole body sharing the pain. Because when the body shares the pain, what it does is it instinctively moves away from the source of pain for self-protection. The entire body will protect itself. So for example, you come across something hot. You touch it, it's hot. And guess what? Your entire body moves away. Your legs will instinctively move your body away to protect your body. That's what the body does. It works together, not just the hand, for protection. And that's the problem with leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease where your skin cells are dead, so you no longer feel pain. The story was one told of a leprous man, I think in Papua New Guinea. Leprous man from the tribes. He was seen to be roasting a potato in the open fire. Really, his hands were burning up, but he didn't care. He didn't know. He didn't feel the pain. There's a danger when the body of Christ no longer feels the pain of one another. We will be gradually destroyed when we lose empathy and compassion for one another. But when we feel the pain together, then we will reach out to protect one another. And then we will allow that pain to transform us into that authentic and compassionate community as a real church needs to be. Today, my friends, would you show the care to someone who needs you? Would you not just enter their joys, but also enter their pain? Because compassion is a spiritual gift, and empathy is a beautiful gift as well. Would you seek the Lord for these gifts as you bring about unity through mutual care? And with that, we come to the final principle. So Paul says, yes, our Lord is the preeminent one. Yes, there is the purpose of unity for the common good. But then he says, now, now I will show you the most excellent way, the way of love. He says, there must be a priority of love in the way you use the gifts. Now, I think if you write to Paul today and you ask him, hey, Paul, how do you feel about 1 Corinthians 13? I think he would say, I'm surprised that the church only preaches it during weddings. The last time you heard a 1 Corinthians 13 sermon was probably during a wedding. But the context for 1 Corinthians 13 is actually the use of gifts in chapter 12. Get that right, my friends. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love must be the priority, the most excellent way. Whenever we feel we're very gifted, I think we need to ask ourselves, am I doing it in love? Because Paul says character is more important than the gift. And he says pursue love, therefore, as the priority. And the word love here is agape love. It is the self-giving and the sacrificial love of God. And so when you look at chapter 13, Paul says, pursue love because the consequence of the lack of love is real. Without love, without love, even if I speak in tongues from angels, I'll be like an empty gong and a loud clashing cymbal. I produce nothing. Scary. Without love, even if I preach the best sermon, I'm a mighty prophet with so much insight and miraculous faith. I am nothing. Paul says, without love, even if you are sacrificial to the extent of giving up your life, all your possessions, you actually gain nothing. That's terrifying because you can be the most gifted person around. But if there isn't love, you are nothing. You produce nothing. You gain nothing. Paul says, pursue love because it will transform you. It will transform you. Love is often understood by the world as sentimentality. I mean, we understand that from the pop songs, Korean drama, 
Sometimes we understand love as sex in the very erotic nature of the world today. But my friends, true agape love is not sentimentality and sex. True agape love is sacrifice and steadfastness. Sacrifice and steadfastness. And verse 4 to 7, Paul illustrates the transforming nature of this agape love. Not the worth of the world. Agape love. First, he says there will be an inward transformation. We look at the list of the qualities of love. In verse 4 to 7, you discover love does not envy. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's about the inward transformation. It keeps no record of wrongs. It starts from the inside. So love actually transforms you from the inside out. Because love is kind. And people will know your kindness when you love them. Love is patient. People will know that you are patient with them. Love trusts, perseveres, and is not rude. People will experience the blessing when you love them. The transforming nature of love is an inward to the outward. Therefore, Paul says you must pursue the priority of the agape love as you serve him with your gifts. Why? Finally, because love is permanent. Verse 8 to 13, lovely verses, wonderful exposition about how love will stay and love will remain because love never ends. Spiritual gifts, they do not last forever. Prophecies will end. Tongues will be silenced by all gifts which are incomplete today. One day, one day they will end. One day when Christ returns, all things are renewed. When perfection comes, gifts are no longer required. But not love. Love lives on to eternity. And that's why, as a church, we must sow to love. We must sow seeds that love may bear fruit. Because love lasts forever. And Paul uses his favorite triad, faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest because it is the most foundational. Let's prioritize love in the way we use our gifts. So three essential principles. The preeminence of the giver as Lord. The purpose of oneness for the common good. And the priority of love in the way we use our gifts. Let me show you three discipleship lessons and I'll close. The first, my friends, it's a point of one. Today, would you know your gift? And please use your gift. Please don't dismiss your gift by thinking, oh, I don't have anything to offer. You have. Every one of us is talented and able. And every one of us can surrender our talents for God to use as a spiritual gift. How do I know my gift? There are many diagnostic tools out there, online, spiritual inventories that you can Google and find, and you can do. But let me tell you, the best way to know your gift is to serve. Is to discover your ministry as you serve. And if you want to discover and know more about your gifts and your abilities, Join our SHAPE program. It's an excellent program. Let me commend that to you. When you discover your S, your spiritual gifts, your H, your heart, it means your passions, A for abilities, what you're good at, P for your personality type, and E, your experiences, how they can contribute to you giving back to the body of Christ. Let me commend this for you. It's found on our website under Discipleship and Nurture. My friends, today, would you be secured in your gift? Because if God is preeminent, and guess what? You can trust Him. You can trust Him. Sometimes, to be very honest, I get envious of others. I'm very envious of those who have the gift of healing. Because I look at them and say, wow, super, super power pastor. Because he has the gift of healing. How I long for that gift. If I have that gift, I think all my gifts will be complete. 
laugh please. Because that's actually a very arrogant statement. That was actually pure arrogance. And I know that I don't have that gift because God knows that I'm not ready for it. God knows when you are ready for a gift. God knows whether you will need that gift or not for the particular situation. That's why you need to humbly surrender to the giver. And when you have that gift, please use it to the best of your ability. Like I mentioned, surrender your talent to be used as God's gift. You know, next week we're having our ministry fair. Our ministry fair is really the effort for us as the body of Christ, as a real church, to really discover how we can serve together. It's really not about how gifted we are. It's about us offering our five loaves and two fishes. It's about us offering our availability. And I pray that you'll come. It's going to be at our rooftop. And there'll be games, food, fellowship. But come and also discover how we can grow in our discipleship journey as a church as we serve together. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, see you next week at the ministry fair. Right? Finally, my friends, a reminder. This is a reminder. Some of us, we think that spiritual gifts are only to be used in the church. I beg to differ. Spiritual gifts are meant to be used in your family because your family is the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are meant to be used in your workplace because when you gather with fellow Christians, there is a body of Christ there. I remember the times when I was working before I became a pastor. We would gather the Christians once a month and I saw the gift of prayer. I saw the gift of prophecy when some of us spoke insight and wisdom into the situations at our workplace. And we were praying. We were interceding for our bosses. I remember the power of the gift of some of those who organized, and we organized caroling at the end of the year to go around and sing the gospel truth of the birth of Christ. My friends today, please discover your talents and gifts and use them for the glory of God in your families. Start with your families and start at your workplace. With that, I'm going to my, go to my second discipleship application. And it's a tough one. Humble yourself. Humble yourself to need one another. In the movie Jerry Maguire, there was a cheesy line when one of the ladies told the guy, you, you complete me. Wow. You know when a lady says that to a guy or a guy says that to a lady, it's quite, well, actually it's a guy who said that to a lady. Tom Cruise who said that to Renée Zellweger. You, you complete me. I think he really won a heart. But you know this idea of completing each other is actually biblical. It's found a word. We are members, one of each other. And the idea is that you need me I need you. And together we complete one another to do the very work that God has for us. Today I see that in the team of the pastors that we have at Westie. Nine of us, I see each of us gifted in different ways. And I need each one of them. Adrian, I need you. Ian too. And together with the pastors and the laity, we need one another to serve together. Now can I also say, some of you will be thinking, you know what happens when I am more gifted than the other person? You know, on a scale of one to five, I'm like number four on the scale of music, and you're only number one. Why do I need you? I can do without you. In fact, I can produce the best output without you. My friends, I beg to differ. If we think this way, that's a secular way. That's a worldly way. I think that even when gifts vary in quality, there is a place for everyone to serve. Amen. Because our talents and our gifts are never meant to showcase how good we are and how much the world, the ministry needs us to make things work. No. We need one another. We have to humbly accept each other and help each other embrace that discipleship journey of serving together. 
That is so important for us never to disregard the weaker ones, the least talented ones, the least able ones amongst us. But instead we say, I need you. Yes, I may be better than you, but I still need you. Because together we are stronger and together we serve Christ as one body. Final discipleship lesson. And that is to serve with love. Especially the weaker members of the body. Especially the least and the last amongst us. Especially those wrestling with anxiety, with mental health issues, with fear and depression. Today, let's remember to honour the unseen, those behind the scenes. Let's honour those who are seemingly forgotten or seemingly unimportant ones in the body. Let's reach out. Let's love. And here's the point. If love is the most excellent way, then it's no longer about how gifted you are or whether there is love. Let love be the measure. Let love be the yardstick of your service for God. And when next time you serve God, it's not just about how well you have done. It's about how much you have loved. How much you have loved God. And how much you have loved your neighbor as you serve together. And I think love is liberating. There is no room for comparison. There is no room for arrogance. There's lots of room for humility and asking the Spirit to help us love each other. Finally, my friends, if you serve with love today, Let's not have the kind of self-seeking entitlement. One of the issues that we have today about serving God in church is that we bring this sense of self-entitlement to our ministry. And that's a worldly value. We think that just because I serve, there must be something in for me. And we ask, what's my reward? Where's my recognition? Oh, pastor, serving God cannot be too long, cannot be too hard. Please make it smooth. Make it, make it simple. Cannot be too demanding. Cannot be too hot. And please throw in free Wi-Fi along the way. That's the reality we have today in church. When people come with a self sense of entitlement. Yeah, they are serving. But yeah, they feel very entitled. And I'm, not, and I'm no different. Sometimes I fall into that as well. I really pray that God will help us as a church family. Really to be the real church. That we need to be. Today I pray that you and I will ask God's agape love to fill us. Amen. Today as we know and use our gift. As we humble ourselves to say, I need you. I need one another. As we serve with the sacrificial agape love of God. How will you respond to God's word today? Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Even as the word of God has been preached, what gift do you have to serve God today for the common good? What is God saying to you? Holy Spirit, speak your word. Let us respond in obedience. And Lord, as your body was broken for us, let us now be your body, broken for the world, serving and loving the least and the last, bringing your hope to the hopeless, your truth to the seeking, your comfort to the grieving. Father, I pray you give us grace to love you, to love each other, 
to serve you willingly, to serve each other sacrificially and wholeheartedly as we desire to be your faithful disciples all the days of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.